2: There's this book company, and uh, Sharon Salzberg and I, we did a a project together. And um, we uh, videoed uh, uh, a a retreat we did up at Menla last year, I think. And uh, we also added some other stuff, and we're going to put it out as some kind of something or other. And um, so we, just by the way, we approached a book company uh, to uh, see if they wanted to put it out. They also do digital stuff and like that. And they said, Nah, devotion doesn't sell these days. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you certainly can't buy it, but I don't know if you can't sell it. Let me think about that. <laughs> Can't buy me love. Everybody tells me so. <clears throat> How great, huh? The one thing that we all want, that we all need, that we're going to have to find if we're ever going to be happy, doesn't sell. <laughs> I love it. I'm talking about love. Without love, life is just grays, grays and browns. <clears throat> Problem is most of us don't really believe that that we can find that love, that that love even exists, you know. We 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 mistake what's going on here. I hear myself from 40 different places. Am I in here now, too? I am everywhere. (laughs) At least electronically. All right, what was I saying? I was going to bring you down, so I won't say that. Let me say Yeah, the problem is we don't believe... We really, we, you know, we like to sing, we like to do asanas, we, some of us even perversely like to meditate, but we don't really believe that any of this shit's going to work. <laughs> really. If we really believed that, it, that there is something to find, we'd already have it. Which, of course, we do, but we just don't know so that's, that's the quandary that we're in. We have to do these practices to, to, to clean the mirror of our hearts so that we can see our true nature. We can see the beauty that we are, the love that we are. But we don't believe it exists, so we don't do it. Interesting, huh? Or we do some strange version of it, so we won't really get what we're looking for. I, I think back to the time I spent with Maharaji physically back in India in the old days. <laughs> he, he used to, every once in a while he'd go like this. The Westerners would be just like you know, being Westerners, and he would just go like. I mean, think about what it must be to be God, you know? There you are sitting with all these people who don't know fuck all. And you know everything. You see everything they are, everything they've ever been, anything they're going to be. And you see there's nothing you can say to them that's going to wake them up. You just have to sit there and love them as they are, which is what he did and does. Of course, he can give you a jab in the ribs every once in a while, get your attention. But that kind of love that really, to be in the presence of that kind of love, which is so sweet and so simple, it's not like God's love from on high to all these (laughs) poor beings down below. (laughs) It wasn't like that. It was just hanging. Just hanging out day after day in this space, in this Beautiful, sweet space. You, you were allowed to come, you were allowed to go. You know, I mean, there was no, you didn't have to wear all the same clothes. Most of us hated each other anyway. <laughs> really? Oh, the, the wars that went on between the different members of the satsang are extraordinary. You know. All the way up to the fact, that the time when Ramdas threw a plate of food in somebody's face. You know, right in front of Maharaji. Maharaji says, Is this something wrong? You know? <laughs> no, it's just us being us, you know. Oh, it's great. We would actually we'd elbow people out of the way to get to his feet, you know. We'd dive with our elbows out like this, so if anybody tried to get in our way they got punctured, you know. It was no shame. No shame at all. <laughs> um, it's kind of like how we run to our seats. What's that? It's kind of like how we run to our seats. Unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. You know, when I walked into the room where Ramdas was sitting in 1968, 69, I'm not sure, the winter, he was sitting there, and without a word being spoken, and we didn't even hardly look at each other, I just walked in the room, and all of a sudden I knew, I knew completely and absolutely and totally, beyond any doubt, that whatever I was looking for, Whatever I was looking for it was real. It was real, and it was in the world, and it could be found. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what to call it, even. But that moment changed my life. Up to that time, you know, I read, well, I read all the, the three books about this stuff that was out. Yeah. <laughs> we are talking about the 1820s. When was the printing press invented? (laughs) So I read all the books, and you know, but still, there were books. Anybody could write anything. As you know, I wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) Great book. Everyone should buy it. Thank you. Yes, of course. Buy 10. (laughs) Yeah, buy 10. Um, Yeah. But, you know, and it sounded good. The stuff in books was very inspiring. But it was just a book. So when I, and then, yeah, then when I walked in that room, that was everything changed. Then the books were very different. But how do we get, how do we find, how do we... That moment when we finally believe, or may I use a word that makes, makes Westerners nauseous, when we have faith that this is real, that love is real, and, and it lives within us as who we are, not somebody else, not something else. It's a big thing to recognize. Nobody tells us that. I mean, if you grew up like I grew up, God bless you. Nobody in my family knew anything about anything. They weren't bad people. They didn't love themselves. And they didn't think of that there was any way to find a way to love themselves. They were trying. They did their, you know, they did what... They could. But I wasn't brought up to believe that, that you could really be happy. And still it's hard for me to believe. To tell you the truth. I spend a lot of time, less than I used to. Maybe moping around, you know, not really paying attention, just kind of going from one day to the next with the clutch half in, you know. It's almost like I'm afraid to find it again. You know, This is a, I don't know, what will I do if I felt good? You know, so I do as much of this stuff as I can because this stuff thins out that layer of personal programs. It thins out those programs. It pulls the plug on a lot of those programs. It turns the volume down. It turns the juice down on those programs. How it does it, I don't know. But it does it. And And as you aspire to find that love, those programs also, through your practices, get less power over your emotions and your thoughts. And you spend less time in these darker, heavy, negative states of mind, less time hurting ourselves, less time planning new ways to hurt ourselves. (laughs) Of course, we don't think of it like that. So that's why practice is such a big thing, and that's why it's something that brings fruit over time, over time. When you meet somebody who's been doing practice for a long time, whatever practice it is, there's a quality in there. There's some kind of space. There's some kind of something that's a little bit, it's not quite as hard as, you know, that shell, that outer shell that we live behind. It gets a little softer, a little porous. And little bits of light stream in through every once in a while. Yeah. It's not something we, can, we can't build, we can't do that directly. We can't dismantle the fantasy of who we think we are directly. But we can do these practices which from like underneath kind of pull the pull the juice out of that stuff all the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves all day long and then judge ourselves for telling stories about ourselves to ourselves all day long it's extraordinary and there's no way to, there's no way to kill it there's no button to push that's going to stop it there is no button to push that stops your thoughts But little by little, over time, if you have the right aspiration, the right right motivation, and we do these practices, those thoughts, those emotions don't grab us the same way as they have been our whole lives. That is absolutely the case. And if there's one thing I know, that might be it. There might be two things I know. And maybe I don't even know those things, but right now I think I do. Or let's say I know them sometimes more than others. It's the same for all of us. If you don't do practice, how can you? You can't pick yourself up like this. You know, no matter how strong you are, there's no way you can do that. So practice gives us. It it, it uh, gives us some leverage, but it doesn't give me the leverage, because if I had the leverage, I'd use it to hit somebody over the head with or something like that. What it does, it gives your heart, your true self, the leverage to release the stuff more quickly, more easily, more gracefully. Oh, any questions? Anything? Anybody? Okay, hold on. We have a microphone so people can hear you and I can hear you because I'm deaf. So wait, it's coming. Somehow, from somewhere. Over there. Is that it? You, you can pass it.
1: Um, my name is Sita. Hi.
2: You can sit down, don't you? You're less of a target if you're sitting (laughs) down.
1: The talk already has answered a lot of my questions. I'm in deep spiritual love with my teacher. It doesn't help that I'm single and he's the most beautiful person I've ever seen. So there is a little question in the back of my mind. Is this romantic? But I don't think so. So I can't necessarily, I could go and live there and be with him. That's all I want. I'm in deep longing to be with him. Mm -hmm. But is that the smart thing to do?
2: Let me think about that. Well, you said spiritual love. What does that mean to you?
1: It means that when I'm with him, my true nature is revealed, 100%. Mm-hmm. I feel that he he is a mirror, mm-hmm. and he's taught me everything I know. In a year, I've progressed in ways that it would have taken me 10 years to progress otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be with him mm-hmm. at all times. And it, this isn't about going off into the sunset.
2: Going up to where?
1: Off into the sunset. Uh-huh. No, it's not oh, that. I'm sorry. But do I do the responsible thing, go to my federal job, my mortgage, or can I be happy and be with him?
2: No, you have to stay home and pay my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> so look, agree with, I, I'm gonna, just going to give it to you straight, okay? And then you do with it what you want. This love you're talking about, love is not between two things, even between what we call a guru and what we call ourselves. Love is who we are. You don't get it from anybody. Right now it seems like you're identifying the guru with the physical body. What if he wasn't? the body wasn't there? Right.
1: Longing.
2: You, yeah, well, you're going to have to go through hell because you're attached to his physical form. And if he is a real enlightened being, then he's not attached to his physical form. So your job is to use that longing or really get into that longing in a way that it brings you back to yourself rather than uh, to follow somebody's body around. And I had to learn that. I mean, I'm not putting you down. There was nobody more attached to Maharaji's body than me, at least least more than I was at that time. And when he left the body, that was it. It was over for me. I don't want that to happen to you. So start now. But you know what? Does know you can't protect yourself because we don't really want to do the work that we have to do. We want to. Uh, we want to avoid doing the real work. So. I mean, you can play with it if I, you know. You can go visit, and then you could go away and if there's, and eventually there should be no difference you know i remember sitting being in the temple in india and he had Maharaja had many devotees who lived in nanita which was like I a mean, 35 40 minute ride away and i noticed that they didn't come to see him you know they would come on feast on for holidays or for a special day to do puja to him you know on some but they didn't we were there every day You know, like scratching at the door in the morning to get in. (laughs) And they came, I kept thinking, what's wrong with these people? He's here, they don't come. They're crazy, what is this? There was nothing wrong with them. What was wrong was me. (laughs) They had him, whether they're there or whether they're home. They weren't, they were in that presence wherever they were. I was the idiot, and I thought there's something wrong with them, and they just smiled and looked at me, (laughs) oh, very nice, (laughs) hello. You know? Really. The relationship with the guru is not a human relationship. It's not between two human beings. Guru is not a human being. ness may be residing in a human body, just like light in a light bulb. But the light is not the glass thing there. Right? So... The point, I know I could say this to you every day, all day, for the next 50 years. It's not going to make a bit of difference. You know that, and I know that. So, good luck.
1: Thank you. Thank
3: you. Thank <laughs> you. I've, I've read and I've heard you tell the story many times about driving the bus and wanting to meet Maharaji in the 20-minute pause, and was at Brindavan or wherever you were going, and you took a wrong turn in the marking. marking oh, place. Yeah. He paused. And apart from the, the miracle of that story, I feel like there's a, there's a teaching in there in the fact that you could take the wrong turn, that you did take the wrong turn, and I want to know what you think the meaning of that 20 minutes is.
2: Well, for those of you that don't know the story, I'll give you a synopsis. So, um, we were in the Allahabad, and Ramdas had promised Swami Muktananda that he, he would go and do this pilgrimage with him in southern India. So, he tried to get out of it, but Maharaj said, You said you would go, you gotta go. So, me and a couple of other guys in Ramdas, we got into our Volkswagen bus and we headed down south to meet Muktananda. The Maharaji said he'd meet us in Brindavan. So at some point, he didn't say when, of course. So we took off and we decided, well, there's a lot of different ways to go. Let's slide by Brindavan on the way because maybe he'll be there and we don't have to go, you know. So we got to Brindavan and the place with the temple was deserted. We went in there and the chokidar, the, the watchman said, I haven't seen Maharaji for months. I have no idea where he is. Oh, okay. We got back in the car and we drove down. And we cruised around South India. We had a wonderful time. And then, after a few weeks, I guess it was, we're heading back up north. And we're, we're going to try to find Maharaji. So we figured we'd go to Vrindavan, to the temple in Vrindavan, and maybe he'll be there. Well, it was a long, you know, we, it was late at night when we got into the area. So we stayed about 10 miles away at Krishna's birthplace, the Janambhumi, it's called. And uh, there's a little uh, sala there, a little place to stay. So we spent the night there. And uh, next morning we get up and drive. What's that? Oh, maybe it's the mic. Okay. Um, and I was driving. So now you drive up. It was a simple drive. It's like walking from here to the, the cafe. But I made a wrong turn and instead of making this right turn that would take me right to, directly to the temple i missed the turn and we had to go we got stuck in the bazaar which is like these narrow lanes with cows and people and dogs and everything and and there's no way to turn around so we had to keep going all the way through the bazaar back around until we got to the to the place where you go down to the road to the temple so we get to the temple we're all breathing hard you know oh maybe
1: he's here
2: sca we get out of the car, we go in, same thing. Maharaji? I haven't seen him for months. We have no idea where he is. <laughs> <laughs> Harakiri. <laughs> we re- it was horrible. We, we, couldn't, we didn't know what to do because he would disappear regularly. I mean, he would just get up, walk out of the temple, get in the car and drive away. <laughs> After like being with him for like a month. Yeah. And we didn't know if he's coming back in 10 minutes For 10 months. It was quite extraordinary. (laughs) And um, Anyway. So we get to the temple. So we realize, okay, he's not here. Maybe let's go to Delhi. It's just a few hours from here. We'll get to Delhi and we'll get in touch with some of the old devotees there and maybe we'll be able to find out where he is. So we kind of mope our way back out to the car and I put the key in the ignition and I'm just about to turn the key and a little fiat, they had these little old fiats in India. In Screeches to a halt right next to us. And we turn to look. Maharaji gets out of the passenger seat. He, looks, he, he doesn't even look at us. He gets out of the passenger seat, which is right here. I'm looking at him out the window. And he gets out of the passenger seat and walks into the temple. He doesn't even look at us. we just like... And so we scrambled in, you know, into the temple, and he was there. And we had quite a wonderful visit that time. It was fantastic. But the story is this, that there was, another, there was an Indian guy with him and a driver. And the Indian guy told me many years later that the night before, they were in a town called Kanpur, which is about many hours away. And, in the, and all the, it was in the middle of the night and all the, the devotees were asleep and they used to sleep in the big living room, you know, all together, head to toe, you know, just like... like. And Maharaji came out of his room in the middle of the night and tried to wake this guy up. His name is Dutt Sharma. And he couldn't wake him up, so he picks him up, <laughs> carries him on his shoulder, out of the room, throws him in the back of the car and they take off in the middle of the night. And Gurudat woke up in the middle, like... You know, in a car. He's like, what is going on here? And they drove all night long at breakneck speed. Maharaji kept saying to the driver, go faster, go faster, go faster. <laughs> faster, faster. And they got right outside of Brindavan, just outside the city limit, and Maharaj says, pull over. So the driver pulls over, and they figure it's maybe a pee break or something, but Maharaji just sits there. And they sat there for like 15 minutes. And then he says, let's go. Fast. Go, go. And so what I'm telling you is that he timed it perfectly. He timed it to our moment of our greatest despair. We came out of the temple thinking, we don't know where he is. Maybe we'll never find him again. What are we going to do? He timed it. I, I just think there's humor in that. I don't know about any teaching. I don't know about teaching. You know, it, there was a lot of teaching that happened in just this kind of way, very informally. He didn't give lectures. He didn't give talks. And when he told you what to do, it was usually, go away. So... You know, I don't know. What do you think the teaching is? Well, I
1: just wonder, are we predestined?
2: Mike, in your talk to the mic. It's on.
3: Are we predestined or do we influence our own? I mean, that's what I think the story is about, whether we're predestined or we can make our own paths and what that means.
2: Yes, we are. Thanks for the setup, man. It was beautiful. You know, you can't know those things. You can't know. Certainly, he could do whatever he wanted to do. A saint like that is not... In fact, Hanuman is called which means the dweller in the three times. Past, future, and present. There's no time in that universe. We're, we're, we're in time. Min- minutes come after minutes and hours, and we seem to get older and put on more creams and stuff like that. <laughs> right? But in that world, there's no time at all. And a, a guru can enter into that, into your flow at any point to do anything for you at any time. It's not even hard <laughs> for them. Um, so as far as your question in this particular inc- with with a saint like that, it, anything goes, you know. Anything goes at any moment. Anything can happen at any moment. They can, they can just twirl this world around on the tip of their finger and make it land just the way they want it to. Uh, don't play dice with somebody like that. <laughs> Unless he wants you to win, you won't win. So I don't know if that's hard for a lot of you to digest. But for me it's kind of like you know, of course. Because I lived with it, you know, I saw it every day. You know, it's like Yeah, okay, hold on one second. Wait. All we, know, all we know is what we can conceive of and, and, and perceive with our senses and the jumble that we make out of those information in our minds. But these great beings are, are just not, they're not locked up in that room like we are. We're locked up in the room of thought, the prison of thought and emotions. We're locked up. That's all we know. We don't see things clearly or directly without that our filters but these great beings don't have any filters like that. That's really, okay? Really, they don't. That's why they are who they are. And, and the only reason that they're here at all is out of compassion for us. Because we don't know shit. And we keep hurting ourselves and recreating our, uh, our, our storylines over and over again. And if they didn't show us that there was a way out of it, how would we know? How would we know? We wouldn't know. And if you look around, the whole universe is not in this room right now, just a few of us. Most people don't know. They get born, they go to school, they get an apartment in New York, they drink beer, and they die. That's life for most people, really. They don't have any understanding that there's any other thing to find, any other way of living, any deeper love, any way of loving them, of feeling better about themselves. They're totally caught by the programs. Not like we're any better, but for some reason we're in a room like this. And this is a big thing, Really. This is a very big thing. Why would we be here? This makes no sense to my to you know to my sixth grade teacher. You know? And all those people that we know. Go to the supermarket and just go to the supermarket one day and just look around. There's nobody home. (laughs) Nobody's there. There's nobody paying attention. <laughs> Maybe they're just predestined to be like that. Hmm? Maybe they're just predestined to be like that. What if? What if they're just predestined to lead those kinds of lies? Because they're no be longer like that way or something. I'm not really following you. Wait a second. So, the thing is. Alright. So. If we're here, there's a, some part of us that's looking for something. you there's no reason to sit here. There's no mistakes either. So if you're here, something brought you here. Some karmic need brought, brought us together today. And whatever happens, happens. You know? OK. Hi. Uh, um,
3: yeah, I'm it's on. on.
1: It's on. I hear you. Hold it
3: close. Um, I have a lot of guru questions, so I was, um, Bhagavan Das in his book talks about Maharishi's love of speed. Maharaji?
1: Yeah, Mahar- I don't, Maharaji. yeah, I yeah, don't,
2: okay.
3: he, his uh, speed in, in vehicles, like driving, they're rambling through India, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. he loves speed, and then he disappears from the car seat, mm-hmm. from the van seat, and mm-hmm. Is that a common practice? I mean, to just like I can't <laughs> do it disappear. No, but did, did you see him disappear ever? Not like that. Not just vanish.
2: No. No. M- the most extraordinary experience I had with him that way was uh, one day um, we were sitting with him and he get got up and so people would you know take his hand. So today I was right there and I put my hand. He took my hand right and we walked out to the back of the temple. And uh, he let go of my hand, and he took a couple of steps. So I took a couple of steps. He said something to me, and took a couple of steps. So I took a couple of steps. Finally, he just looked at me. And he just went, <laughs> and, and he knelt down and peed.
3: <laughs>
2: if you think seeing God God pee is nothing, <laughs> he can disappear all he wants. That was that was unbelievable. I don't know if <laughs>
3: Question and I, because I've not had the guru experience and I just wonder if I'll ever have that. But um, I'm currently working on gratitude and the vibration of the energy mm-hmm. of gratitude and love. So, it's wonderful gratitude did, is a very good thing. Yes, of course. So, um, did he did he show gratitude? Is that something that he would express? I'm just looking for, like, that position of the guru, like, what's it like, the relationship, you know, like, yeah. as a person, I guess, and, yeah.
2: He showed absolute, utter humility.
3: Did he? Absolute. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because he knew that the ego is nothing. Right. That the, the small self is, doesn't even exist. Right. And he'd become the whole universe. and. When you become the whole universe, you recognize that everybody is that also. Yeah. But they don't know. Right. Of course. So what he demonstrated more than anything was ultimate compassion and kindness. Yeah. Yeah,
3: Yeah. I understand. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah. And he fed everybody. I I know that's... (laughs) In in America, that would be like people giving away money. Because in America, it's money. In India, food. Most people in India wake up, they really don't know. Right. Where their next meal is coming from, yeah. or with the eat the next day.
3: Yeah, I have another question about that. I have these thoughts like twenty times a year, like the vanishing thing, and then the you other have
2: those one. these thoughts only twenty times a year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I Let's swear. bow to her.
3: I think of it all the time. I don't yeah. know why, and I'm not even really into magic. But um, um, the food thing—he's he could create food out of like. I'm fascinated. i He I've could never do all kinds
2: eating. of things. You know, uh, there's a story about when they were trying. They were having a big bandara where they feed lots of people, and they were about to fry all the puris, and the the ghee ran out. So he told somebody to go take a bucket of water, take a bucket and go down to the river and fill it up with water and put a cover over it and bring it back and leave it by the stove, by the place where they were cooking. And then when they took the cover off it, it had turned into ghee. But the next day, he had somebody fill up a bucket of of ghee and take it down to the river and throw it in. He said, We owe owe Ma, we owe the Ganga, you know, some ghee. So he returned it. You know, just can you imagine, like, you know how when you dream, it's like this, right? It's just as real as this, but you're in a dream. Now, there's this thing called conscious dreaming where you can actually learn. To be awake in your dream and make decisions and change things. You want to fly, fly. You can do all kinds of things, and you can change things. Like I could turn you into a pumpkin in my dream. (laughs) So this is like, this is this is what where Maharaji is. Uh He's conscious in our dream, and he can change things for us. He can make things happen in a way for us that's better for us. That removes obstacles. That find that that can remove problems from our life stream, you know, like taking rocks out of a river that we haven't gotten that far yet. Uh We may never know they were there, but they were removed. These beings are conscious. They're awake. We're sleeping. So they can do anything. Just like you can do anything in your dream if you're awake. You can, you know, you can create your own reality in those dreams. That's what they do. That's what they do and they can do. But recognize this, their only motivation for that is to help us, you know. They already became everything. They don't need anything. There's no one in there that needs anything. They have everything. He used to say, all the money in the universe is mine, even the money in America. (laughs) America somehow is outside the known universe. (laughs) Can
3: I ask one more question? (laughs) I don't know. Can she? What do you think? All right, go ahead. Um, Is there, as a devotee, is there a a strong sense of surrender? Is that like a really, um, is
2: that? Surrender, you don't surrender. Nobody, surrender is not an act of will. Yeah. That we do. Yeah. It's a recognition, when you fall in love. Right. Did you like, okay, I'm going to fall in love at 3.13 today.
3: (laughs) Right. Right? It's not like
2: that. It happens. Yeah. It happens. I
3: understand.
2: Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And it's not just like falling in love. You don't feel like you've lost anything. You feel like you just got the whole universe. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. It's... When that, when that kind of surrender comes to uh, to your own true self. Yeah. You know? it's, just... it's like you got everything. You didn't lose anything.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's not. It's not a power trip. It's. It's a recognition of the way things actually are.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Not the way we thought they were.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
2: that's, yeah. and then you recognize that too. You say, oh, this is what it is. And you just know. Yeah. You just know. Nobody has to, can tell you, and nor can you make it happen.
3: Uh-huh. You can
2: prepare for it
3: right. yeah. by
2: doing these practices, by what you're doing, cultivating gratitude, and using that to short-circuit all the other nasty programs mm-hmm. that are running all the time. And that's great practice. Mm-hmm. But when real gratitude, or when a deeper gratitude opens up for you, mm-hmm. it won't feel like you did it. It'll feel like, oh, the curtain's mm-hmm. just opened, mm-hmm. and now I, I see what I it get, is. I get it.
3: Thank
2: you. You're welcome. Good question.
1: Hi, I'm Janice. Um, I came today to learn about the Hanuman Chalisa from you. and. Um, why it's so important. I volunteered at Ramana's Garden two years in a row. Uh-huh. I'll be back this year and they, the children chant this every night and cool. um, I don't know how they learn it so easily. <laughs> they speak but, the language.
2: Yeah. It's like learning um, you, know, you know baby come back. Like you, just, you just learn it. You hear it enough times and then you can't get rid of it. them it's just natural Um, I've told this story many times but I used to come to we would come to the temple every day from the town we were staying in to see Maharaji and every time we came they would give us this little booklet with a flying monkey on it right and I had a hundred of these booklets back in my room finally one day I asked what is this you would have thought that you know months and months went by I said what is this and I said, it's this prayer to Hanuman. Oh. Now, we knew from the other devotees that Maharaji was considered to be Hanuman. He was considered to be a manifestation or an incarnation or whatever you want to say of Hanuman. And so I thought, and and he was seen that way by, by his devotees. And... Um, So I thought, I got, you know, I thought, ah, you know, if we learned this, we could sing it to him. We knew he was secretly wanting to spend more time with the Westerners, but he was having trouble working it out, you know? So we thought, we'll help him. We'll learn this, then he'll call us to sing, and then we'll get to spend more time with him. And that, guess what? That's exactly what happened. Imagine that. So... Um, so it became a way, even on the physical plane, of getting ourselves into his presence because we were going to sing this. So he would call us, and the Indian people would have to kind of, we, we, we'd step on them to get, get, the, get close to him, and then we'd sing to him, and they, would, they were like, you know, they couldn't even approach him because we kind of made a circle around him. And Indian people don't step over your airspace. They walk around you, you know, but there was no airspace. So they were like, we kept them away, (laughs) you know. He did that on purpose, too. He loved that. Um, So it became a way of entering into his presence. And we also were exposed to uh, the Ramayana, the Ramayana in English, which is the story of Ram and Lakshman and Sita and Hanuman. All Hanuman's stories come from the Ramayana. So we we absorbed a lot of that. And um, we were looking for ways to express our love. You know, in America, in the West, you you know, there's a lot of things you do to express love. Let's not get into it. (laughs) But in India there we were in this culture that we didn't really understand with this being that we were madly in love with and we couldn't find we were trying to find ways to kind of connect and express that you know and enter deeper into it and then the chalisa was given to us and it became that 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 way that we had it took us it took me and this other guy like all rainy season about 4 months to go through it Syllable by syllable. First, we had to learn the Hindi alphabet. We didn't know. And then we had to go through it syllable by syllable and sound it out phonetically and write it down in English letters, right? It took us about six months to learn it. And um, so we had, after all, so we had secretly, we had secretly, of course, we had planned to do this big ceremony on Tuesday, on Hanuman's Day, right? We were gonna do it, the the, real, the first class Indian style with the plates and the tali and all this stuff. We ordered 80, 80 pounds of laddus from, from town. Laddus are these little round balls, these sweet balls. And they're supposed to be Hanuman's favorite sweet. So we ordered 80 pounds of those to be delivered to the temple. And we had everything together. It was all stashed in somebody's room, you know. So Monday we get to the temple and we, we also didn't, we hadn't memorized the chalisa yet. So uh, so we get to the temple on Monday and Maharaj, he, he, he walked like a, like a, what, a two year old or a three year old. He just bang, bang, bang and he bashed through the doors and <laughs> plops down on his bed and he says, Hanuman chalisa, sing it now. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a. You couldn't, you know, come on, give us a break here. We're trying to surprise you. Give us a. Nah. It was too much fun. He loved to play. He was so playful. Oh, you have no idea. He's so playful. So playful. But you know, when someone is hurting, he was right there, a hundred percent. And he could do anything. He knew everything, and he precipitated things happening by saying things to someone. You if he was sitting here in this room, each one of you would think that he was talking directly to you about your shit, and that that was it. And if you wrote a story of what was said today, everybody and and everybody would write a completely different story of the day. What happened? You would not believe you were in the same room. And if you read this book, Love Everyone, this new book that came out about Maharaji, you get a little taste of that. Parvati took everybody's diaries, right? And she put together uh, an incredible flow of the days, how the days went. And how he would be sitting here talking to you, but this she would get the message, you know. And it it was quite extraordinary. And it went on 24-7 every day, just the same, no end to it. So the Chalisa became our way of not only expressing our love, but spending more time with him, which was good for us. And also, because he said every verse, every word of the Chalisa is is Maha Mantra. Maha Mantra means the names of God. All the names of God are Maha Mantra. There are some groups that say their name of God is Maha Mantra. God bless them. All the names are Maha Mantra. It means the great mantra, the one mantra, the big mantra which is good for only one thing, opening your heart and showing you what's really in there. There are mantras for everything. There are mantras for robbing banks. There's mantras for finding buried treasure. There's mantras for controlling snakes and making them dance and stuff like that. That's how those guys do that. That's really a a thing. This mantra is good for nothing except love. The names of God, that's that's what it's good for. And he said, the Hanuman Chalisa, every every word is, is Maha Mantra. So this is powerful practice. It's, it's one long mantra. And it gives you a chance to really pay attention and to get into the flow of it and, you know, go deeper and deeper. And, you know, over time... You know, the, the processes happen, just inside of us, processes happen. And over time, your heart starts to yearn for that, that feeling of, of moving towards the, the beloved. And then you, when you find a way that works for you, you're, even when you're busy with your mind doing other things, there's still that longing inside that keeps bringing you back to that practice or to that place where you can feel that love again. So for us the Chalisa is very important that way. And Hanuman, you know. My heart used to say, Who's Hanuman? So we give him the, the, the stock answers, you know, the servant of Ram, the blah 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 blah. He said, Nay. He said, Ram Keswas. He said, Hanuman is the breath of Ram, the very breath of God. And, you know, in the Gospels, in the original Greek writing down of the Gospels, which is about 100 years after Jesus, the word that later was translated as spirit, as in Holy Spirit, it's the word for breath, holy breath. So this is a big thing. And of course Maharaj used to say Hanuman and Christ and Krishna are all the same. They're all this, it's like the it's like the 42nd street shuttle. It goes from the east side to the west side. You get on on the west side, you're going to wind up on the east side. <laughs> and versa <laughs> So, you enter into this and you, you, you get out. Wait where you're supposed to. There's only, you know, they don't really let you off in that stop on Fifth Avenue. Only when you're enlightened, then you can get off on Fifth Avenue and do your work. Otherwise, right into it, you know. And it's like that, when um, Hanuman is that energy that just flows totally to the one. It's in service of the one, it flows to the one as you, as you, um, Enter more deeply into it. It brings you out of. It removes obstructions. It removes your own bullshit, and it it allows you to go deeper into your own heart. Now, whether that's really a monkey jumping around in the trees, I don't know. You know, we have a hard time with that, and rightly so. You know, Indian people, they go to a temple, they see the murti, the statue, they they. They really believe that statue's alive. They've done a ceremony called the Prang Pratishta Ceremony, where life is brought into that statue, where a saint who has the power brings his own energy into that so that people can get something from it and find some help in life. We come to these things, you know, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can bow down. I can look devoted, you know. But like I said before, we weren't born with that kind of stuff here. We were born with Mickey Mouse. (laughs) And it's a long way from Mickey Mouse to Ron. A very long way. To develop the real understanding of what this is about. We're born with total non-belief in anything real. It's all fantasy and entertainment and escapism, you know. That's that's what we're brought up with. How to avoid suffering by getting, finding out where all the pleasure buttons are, but there's just never going to be enough pleasure buttons. You can't press them fast enough to keep to keep the the, the reality of life at at bay. Long you know, reality is going to raise its its head, no matter how much how good we get. No matter how much money we have, how powerful we get in the world, you're you're all alone when you're in bed going to sleep at night. It's just you and your mind. And it's our minds that eat us alive. And until we learn to merge our minds in our hearts and soften that flow, we're going to have, you know, we got work to do.